How have certain investors consistently outperformed the market over the past decade? How have these strategies evolved over time, and how are they evolving into the near future? Welcome to Le Chiffre's Inside the Street, where instead of reiterating major headlines and summarizing the state of the markets, we take a much deeper dive into the mechanics and details that drive market behavior and performance. We believe that this podcast truly equips our listeners with a firm understanding of the markets that will allow them to formulate much more educated opinions and predictions. Today's Saturday, June 17th, and I'm your host, Robert Nahigian. Today, I'm joined by our very own head of research, Mickey Finella. Mickey, thanks for coming on today. So I wanted to start with an overview of alternative investments. I guess it can be vague at times, but big picture, what are alternatives and how would you classify them? Absolutely. And first off, I'd say there's several opinions on what classifies an investment as an alternative, but I think the best way to describe it for our listeners is it's really any investment that's not in stocks, bonds, or cash. Usually when we hear alternatives, we're thinking private equity, private debt, real estate, or even venture capital. And speaking on what you mentioned earlier, Rob, these alternatives have significantly evolved over the past decade or two, especially on the credit side of things. If you look back around 20 years ago, you didn't see private debt anywhere. But in such a short amount of time, it's pretty astonishing to see how fast these strategies have gone from completely off the record to overtaking some of the big banks and providing stronger returns than the market. Yeah, it's pretty interesting you say that, Mickey. I mean, if you look around, a lot of these major private debt and private equity firms are only around 20 years old. And if they're older, the majority of them didn't experience their rapid growth cycles until relatively recently. But when you look at the trends and growth of these major alternative investment managers, many of which have private equity, private debt, and real estate arms to their business, that growth has been pretty incredible. But Mickey, I wanted to ask you, of course, when we see the sharp ratio, it's pretty well known that the the higher the returns you get on investment, the more risk you take. So how would you say these firms are consistently hedging against that level of risk? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting topic for sure. And well, I can first start off by saying what has allowed for the growth of alternatives as a group and especially private credit, right? If you look at the federal funds rate over the last two decades or so, and even since 2008 until the recent rate hikes, a period of low rates has really allowed for debt to be used what I would consider is like a financial weapon if you look at hostile takeovers, right? In 2010, we saw those types of takeovers really spike with BHP's $43 billion hostile bid for Potash of Saskatchewan and the $20 billion uh, takeover of Genzyme Corp in 2010 again. And this was all at a time when companies were stockpiling cash, valuations were down, and private equity investors were sitting on piles of dry powder. And so in recent years, we've seen the rise of PE and private credit eating away at the capital markets with those attractive rates. But to your point on risk, PE firms and private credit shops are now struggling in this rising rate environment. So how can they mitigate these risks coupled with the macro headwinds? I think that one, sourcing capital in almost like a crowdfunding manner will be helpful to get more capital put to work. And investors will want a piece of private credit if the rising rates are going to cause the investment target to pay more on those floating loans, right? 
But for firms themselves, they can manage risks by being open to more flexible capital structures in their investments and finding cheaper debt, although no debt really seems to be cheap right now, and really adjusting their criteria to be open to more defensive plays, and even investing in securities that could hedge interest rate risks such as swaps. In my opinion, the old ways of PE are dead, and these firms are going to have to get a lot more creative in their financing. But I'm interested to hear, Rob, while we're on the topic of rates, do you think after the Fed eases, which we're starting to see, although they've said they're going to have two more rate hikes this year, are we going to see even more growth in the space? Yeah, going off that point, I think speaking on private equity, I would argue that the days of absurd returns have sort of come to an end. Now that a lot of these major funds have experienced those returns and already scaled their businesses, I can't really see it being a high growth business over the next few years. That's not to say it won't grow along with hedge funds and private debt, but definitely not even close to the rate that it's grown over the past decade. For example, if you look at a multi-billion dollar private equity firm, I think it's safe to say that an average investment for that firm would fall in the $500 million to a $1 billion range. But when we're talking about that kind of size on a consistent basis, it's pure equity and it's just complete risk at that point. So I'm not saying that these firms can't do these deals successfully and maintain those solid returns. I'm just saying that now that these businesses are near maturity, if not already there, I don't see that much room left for another crazy growth cycle in this industry. But to your point about rates, I think it's been very interesting to see how resilient demand has been for these investments, despite the cost of borrowing and despite the volatility in the broader markets. I think after a certain rate hike, we reached a point where further hikes didn't really hinder the demand for that leverage. And there are companies and investors that need the capital, so they'll buy it at any cost. So we still saw and are continuing to see strong activity in private equity and private debt. And with the Fed holding off on a rate hike the other day, I think that sentiment itself will sort of ease the mind of investors and contribute more to economic activity, even though they indicated more rate hikes are coming later in the year. But I wanted to pivot into more of a lending perspective here. We've seen a lot of scrutiny around regional banks, how the concept of a regional bank is evolving, and how this new and emerging private credit business has been really claiming territory from these regional banks. Mickey, what are some of your thoughts on that dynamic, and which players do you think will take the majority control of the credit markets? Really interesting point, Rob, and it's really no surprise we're still talking about this. I'm actually glad you brought it up. You're right. We saw private credit step up to the plate as banks stepped out of the batter's box. With regional banks falling apart a few months back, private credit expected a surge into more use cases for their lending, such as more consumer-focused lending, auto loans, mortgages, and all the stuff that consumers typically use banks for, right? Not only the fallout of the regional banks, but the macro outlook has led banks to lend less, leaving room for private credit and money managers. I think it's going to be your mega funds who are stepping in and taking more share by using their assets to service things other than leveraged buyouts and transactions, as well as your major credit players who can fulfill these advantageous opportunities like Aries and Oak Tree and all your major players in those bigger private credit shops. Absolutely. But I guess the big question we're all wondering now is, is this growth here to stay or is this phase sort of leveling out and slowing down at this point? 
But like I mentioned earlier, I would argue that the days of sort of exponential growth in these managers AUM is certainly coming to an end, if not over already. I definitely think that now that these firms have reached their size and obtained such control of the markets, there's absolutely still room for growth, but that growth will inevitably be at a much slower pace than what we've seen over the past decade or so. And I don't want to convey the idea that these investments are over. I mean, the deal flow and demand for these firms is certainly not slowing down. But I would argue that as we look into maybe a decade or two from now, there will definitely be the rise of several new and high growth investment strategies that will make these strategies in today's environment look very normal. But pretty recently, we've seen investors profiting off AI's ability to select undervalued equities and find undervalued businesses. But that discussion is for another show. But thanks again for listening. Be sure to subscribe and download the podcast and follow the company LinkedIn page to stay up to date with all of our latest market commentary. But with that, we'll see you all next week. Thanks a lot. This material is published solely for informational purposes and may not be copied or recreated in any way. This podcast is not an offer to buy or sell any investment products and takes no liability for being incorrect about events that may occur within the markets. Remember that the financial markets are subject to change and past performance is not an indicator of future results. It is important to conduct your own research and carefully evaluate any financial decision prior to acting on it. 